But we're going to read Colossians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 1 and read to 14, and then we will pray. Uh, Father, or actually, we're going to, we're going to read. Um, so let's read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, it is, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. So among yourselves, from the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, to lead a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to, to hear your word. And we, we think of those, Lord, the, the Tuareg people, Lord, who have the word in their language and yet no one is proclaiming it because they do not know your word in a way that saves. There is no group of people proclaiming your word. Father, we pray that you would raise up missionaries from the United States who would be joyous at the fact that the New Testament has been completed and, and can, be, can be spoken and read by these people, Lord. And so we pray that you would raise up missionaries, that they might go to these people. And then we pray, Father, that you would raise up a community of believers from within who, who have the grace and boldness to share the gospel with those who need to hear it. We pray that you would do this because we are thankful for having your word. And we know that they will be too. And so we ask that you would move and bring your word to them. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. And I pray that as we consider your word, I pray that that we would be moved, not just in the sense of conviction, a conviction that can be erased by, by leaving the building and going and eating lunch and then going home and watching what's on TV, but I pray that you would shake us to action when it comes to the mission of the church. Father, I pray that you would give us hearts which are moved to appeal to you in prayer. And I pray that that we would be challenged to stay alert in prayer and to labor in it and to struggle in it. Father, not because it is easy to do and not because we, we feel like 
uh, we just cannot wait to pray, but we pray that, that we would be moved in this way because this is your desire and one of the ways in which you have called us to declare dependence on you. Father, may we as a church be a praying people. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, as we consider the state of the church, uh, we, we, have, we have spent uh, several messages looking at different uh, questions of what is the church and what ought the church to do, and we've, we've discussed ministries of the church, and then last month we, we talked about uh, the state of the church and service, and I want to speak of one of the greatest services that a Christian can do for the church, and that is to pray. Prayer is a, a difficult subject. Uh, prayer is, is difficult because, because it immediately conjures up guilt. Because people think, uh, I do not pray enough. I do not, I do not, I do not pray with, with, sufficient, uh, uh, with, with, with sufficient grace. Or I don't, I don't pray nicely enough. Or I don't know if the Lord hears me. Or I don't know if I pray with, with a, a good enough scope. Uh, prayer is a difficult subject because prayer is hard. Prayer is a struggle, it's described as, uh, in, in the book of Colossians. Uh, and so many times prayer goes neglected in our lives. Um, I think prayer is also a difficult subject because there's a tendency to try to make it simple and to boil it down to a formula uh, that, 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 that can say to you, this will revitalize your prayer life and somehow uh, kind of try to skirt around the issue of the fact that prayer is hard. This does not stop many Christian celebrities. Okay, wait for it. It's coming, okay? Uh, This does not stop many Christian celebrities from making an entire career out of writing books on prayer. One author, you're still waiting, uh, has, has written a book called The Power of a Praying Parent. And then a book about the power of a praying husband. And then one about the power of a praying wife. Uh, and, and just when it seems like the, the theme could be exhausted and what more could be said by this author, news comes that she is releasing a new book called The Power of a Praying Mantis. <laughs> Bring up prayer and people cringe. That's it. That's it. I have nothing else planned. All right. <laughs> I just wanted to, wanted to alert you to its presence, you know, so that, so that you wouldn't be like, oh, the joke, I missed the joke. Anyway, uh, bring up prayer and people cringe. We don't pray enough. We don't pray well. We don't pray properly. We don't pray the right form. But let's remember that prayer is the hardest thing in the world. Prayer is the hardest thing in the world. We are independent proud, unbelieving, God-resisting, self-actualizing beings who run from God. That is our nature. And so to get on our knees and to say, I am unable to handle this situation myself, would you please do something, is often our last resort. Now, I believe that, that we can arrive at a place spiritually where, where we can be so spiritually fit and so dependent that, that we will often think, I ought to pray about this and then move from resistance and self-dependence to prayer. But it will always be a struggle. We must oppose our flesh. We must oppose our independence. And we must make war with demonic powers. 
We, we need to, to change our wiring, which is oriented towards doing and not asking. We love to feel strong and not weak. And yet, prayer is central to the mission of the church. And I believe it is not an exaggeration to say that the mission of the church, the local church, will rise or fall based on how its people pray. Matthew 6.9 says this, in what you could call what many call the Lord's Prayer, but you could call the Disciples' Prayer. Jesus uh, is asked by his disciples, teach us to pray, and he says, pray then like this. Now think about the mission, think about the local church, and think about the role of, of prayer. This is what Jesus teaches them. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your, may your name be seen as holy on the earth. Thy kingdom come... Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you hear the mission there? God, you are in heaven. May your name be sanctified and revered and seen as holy. May people see that you are good. May your kingdom come on earth. May it rule here. May your will be done. We're praying that the one that we would move out into life, obeying God's commandments, building his kingdom, partnering with him, and that, and that God would continue the, the retaking of human territory, of hearts and minds, with the gospel. That's what we're praying. We're praying that the mission would roll forward when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Another instance of, of prayer and the mission of the church. Luke 10, 2, he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is the specific problem that the church faces. There are many who can be brought in, but there are few to do that work. Therefore, Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the guy who's got, who's got a stake in seeing the fruit be brought in to the barn. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, right? Not design a curriculum, not, not plan meetings, not develop a strategy, but get on your knees and ask God to do something. It's interesting because, because Jesus doesn't just say, let go and let God. That's, that's not his attitude at all. His attitude is, is you must ask God because apart from God's power, the mission will not move forward. It will fail. But he does propose action after praying. And we see this in Luke 10, 3, which is the immediately following verse. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus says this is the next thing he says, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. He's like, pray that God would send and that he would raise up workers for the harvest to go and do the work of the church. Pray that this would happen. And then, and they're all like, yes, okay. Imagine them praying and they're like, God, you know, like choose your workers, raise them up. And then they stop praying and they say, in Jesus' name, maybe they say like, amen. And then he's like, okay, now go. God's raised up workers. Now go raise up more workers. You'll, you'll find them as you, as you work. I think, I think there's a connection here. I want to show it to you from Colossians chapter 1 and then, and then talk specifically about prayer as, a, as a individuals and as a church. Um, but I want, to, I want to draw out this general principle. If we see the mission, if we see it, we will pray. 
If we see the fact that, that to change a human heart is not a matter of having the right argument or, or you know, the, the, the convincing personality or the, the ability to sell somebody something, but if we see that the heart can only be changed as God raises the heart from the dead and, and brings in his, the power of his Holy Spirit and, and transforms the mind and the will, if we see that that is, is the, the foundation of the mission, then we will, we will see that God must do it. If we see that the, that the harvest is great, but that there are too few laborers to bring in the harvest, and that God is the one who raises up workers, then we will pray. If we see the mission, we'll pray. If we see the way the mission works, we will pray. Let's, let's think about the mission for a moment, okay? What is the church? The church is God's people called out to himself to be his people that he might be their God. The church as it, at its essence, at its most basic nature, is redeemed believers gathered together by a covenant together, agreeing that they're going to worship Jesus in a, in a particular way, that they're going to reflect the, the kingship of Jesus under God's word, celebrating the sacraments together. That's the essence of the church. There are, there are good things that can be added on to that, but that's the core. The, the additional things which are good, which contribute to the health and the safety and the well-being of the church are proper church order. That means church discipline. It means having an organized and stated confession of what you believe. And then a church also ought to have a ministry. Not a minister. Ministers are good. Please don't get rid of them. <laughs> but the church ought to have a ministry. It ought to have a, a way of, of saying we are accomplishing the mission. We have a, a plan and we are out there working, working in the harvest. Now, I've said before, ministry is the goal for 2015. In, in, in my mind and in the minds of the elders, we just want to organize, we want to plan, we want to get our priorities in place, and we want to uh, begin to all, as a church, talk the same language about what we're going to do. Because, because we believe that if we get all the gear right, if we get all the, the pieces in the proper place, that when the wind of the Holy Spirit blows, our sail will be there, and the church will move forward the way it, it ought to be. We can, we can plan and get ready. One of the things that we need to do is to pray. To pray. So ministry is the goal for 2015. The, the mission, the ministry of the church is both redemptive and relational. The, church has, the church's ministry and mission has two parts. The relational ministry of the church is to exalt God. To in all things say, to God be the glory. To lift him up as the greatest and most valuable of all beings. To experience God in our lives. To, 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 to see a need and to pray. And then to see God meet that need and, and point that person and say, look, glorify God. Look at the way that God worked there. To, to be facing a temptation or to know someone who's facing a trial and to pray for them and to see God deliver them, to experience. It's also to enfold people, to, to welcome them in and to say, you are home here. Come to Jesus. Believe in him. And it's also to encourage, to embolden 
to keep people going, to encourage them to run the race, to endure and to fight, to see the glory of God displayed in their lives. That's the relational aspect of the church. The relational will last forever. It will last forever. We will be God's people with God for all eternity if we are in Christ, if we believe the gospel. But the family is not full, and so the church has a redemptive ministry. The church is to go out and to evangelize, to share the news about who Jesus is. And then when people put their faith and trust in what Jesus has done for them on the cross, that, that he takes their sins from them, and, 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 they are, and, and their sins are put to death, in Christ, on Christ, as he, as he dies on the cross, and then they're raised to walk in newness of life, united with Christ. Uh, believers, as they, as they believe that, they need to be established in their faith. They need to know what they have in Jesus, what they, are, what they are called to believe, what they are called to believe about God and what God has done for them. And so they need to be rooted and grounded, and then they need to be equipped. What do they need to know to be part of the church and to be part of the church's ministry? And then they need to be extended or or sent out. That's the redemptive ministry of the church. Starting from the existing community, being drawn in, rooted and grounded, given what they need in order to minister, and then sent out to either begin new ministry frontiers within the local church or a brand new body. The redemptive ministry of the church establishes the the relational. As John Piper has said, missions exists because worship doesn't. We, We go out and we share because God is not yet fully in possession of his family. And we are that family. From the good of the relational church, the redemptive mission reaches out to expand the scope and health and size and impact of the church. I challenge you to test this in the New Testament, to look through the Gospels and the book of Acts and the letters of Paul and to see and to ask the question, does Jesus do this work? Do the disciples, when they are the apostles, do they do this work? Does Paul do this work and does he do it in this way? What's the foundation of all of this work? From a divine perspective, the working of God in the hearts of men by the power of the Holy Spirit is the foundation of the work. But from a human perspective, the foundation of the work is is what? So often we think the foundation of the work is do, right? Just read my Bible more. Share the gospel more. Action, action, action. But let me show you what Paul does. Hopefully you already know the answer. You're just going to allow me to to demonstrate it from the Bible. What Paul does when he sees the mission. What he sees and does. Notice what he does as he writes to the Colossians. He begins by exalting here. He says, we always, this is verse 3 of Colossians chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hear the celebration there? We thank God. God, our Father. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our King who came and who died for us and who delivered us and redeemed us. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 
Paul prays. Paul is encouraging and, and, and praying the mission for the church here. Paul himself is encouraged by the report that he's heard from the Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have for all the saints. There you have enfolding and encouraging the saints and the exalting of Christ because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. What hope? That when Jesus comes to collect his bride, he will, he will find a redeemed, forgiven group of people who know that they will not be disappointed when Jesus comes for them. They believe the gospel, they are redeemed, they're righteous, and they are excited about that, and so they live their mission. Paul goes on in verse 5, and he says, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. They heard the word of truth. Why? Because somebody saw that they were lost and shared the gospel with them, evangelized them. Somebody sent those people to them so that they might do that work. And now the word, the the church as it is established is bearing fruit and growing. The whole ministry is working. From the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth, as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant. Why does Paul call Epaphras the beloved servant? Because because he not only believes the gospel, but he believes the gospel in such a way that he's willing to go to places where the gospel is not and speak it and launch the mission of the church out into that place. He's an extender. He's he's expanding the kingdom of God in the strength which God supplies by speaking the word of God. He is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. I want to point out something about Epaphras here. Colossians 4.12, you'll see that Paul says this, Epaphras, who is one of you. Epaphras, who is one of you. That means he is a... Colossian. Paul has never met these people. He doesn't know them. He knows Epaphras. So, so somehow, Epaphras was, was a place where Paul was, and Paul was preaching the gospel and, and doing work, and Epaphras believed, having heard the gospel, and, and having heard and believed, he then said, the Colossians need to hear this. My people need to hear this. And he went back and shared with his people. Colossians 4.12. That's not what I want to point out, though. That's just, that's, that's extra. Uh, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. When you pray, you get into praying pose, Right? You got your list maybe or your your Bible and you're and you're praying and you're you're suddenly like, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too much noise, my leg itches, right? You know, you're just like distraction, distraction, distraction. Prayer is a struggle. And prayer is a struggle also because of, of the spiritual influences which come against us when we pray. Have you ever started to pray for someone? Father, I just want to lift up so-and-so, and and then you think so-and-so with all their problems. 
so-and-so with all their struggles, so-and-so with all their unbelief and all their refusal to submit and to repent. Where do you think that comes from? Does that come from you, the person who loves them? Or do you think that, that comes from the devil who wants to discourage you from praying? Part of it comes from you. Part of it comes from the devil. Prayer is a battle. It is a, it is a struggle. Epaphras' struggle on their behalf in his prayers is that they might stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. This is Paul, uh, Epaphras' prayer for them is that they might be established in their faith and equipped with all that they need to minister the gospel to others. So this is what Paul sees. Paul sees the mission. He sees the mission taking place. He sees what Jesus did, evangelizing, establishing, equipping, and extending. And he sees what he has done. And now he sees that it's gone another generation in the, in the city of Colossae through the work of Epaphras. And so what does he do? He prays. That's what he does. He prays. And if you think, oh, prayer, like that's not a big surprise. It's like that ought to be the indicator that maybe, maybe something's going on in our soul that we don't think that prayer is a good, strong, worthy use of time. Prayer is supposed to be something like, God, thank you for this food. Thank you for blessing us with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen. Right? That's what, that's what, God, thank you for this day. Bless this food. Bless everyone. Bless the missionaries. Amen. Right? Prayer is, is an obstacle to be charged through in order to get about the real work of the day. But look at what Paul does here. This is what he says in verse 9. He says, And so from the day that we heard of it, from the day that we heard of your faith, we have not ceased to pray for you. We pray for you regularly, he says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What is he praying for? When he's praying, uh, and he's, he's praying on, on a regular basis, that, that the Colossians would know their identity, that they would know who they are, that they would know what God has given, that they would know what God requires, that they would be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not just that God has standards that they're to live by, but that they would know, like the song that we sang, that the strength to follow God's commands could never come from them, but that it comes from the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And so, so Paul is praying that they would have spiritual wisdom and understanding, that they would abide in him, and that they would think upon all the many benefits and blessings of knowing the Lord. That's a worthy subject for prayer. That's a worthy subject for prayer for your children, for the children of this church, for the leader of your small group, for the person who you're sharing the gospel with, for your spouse, for your future spouse, for your mother and father. Those are worthy prayers 
Lord, I pray that they might know the goodness and the fullness of following you and that they might know all the many benefits that you give and that they would, they would see, Father, that to serve you, that your burden is light, that your yoke is easy, and that you empower them to lead and to follow your commands. I pray that they would abide in you. And so, so Paul prays they be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then he prays that, that they would know so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The knowledge of identity and, and their abiding leads them to act in a manner worthy of the Lord. We pray that as the church knows who they are in Christ, and as they then go live their lives, they would act in a manner worthy of the Lord. Ephesians 4.1 says this same thing. These letters are probably written around the same period of time, Paul's prisons, epistles. Uh, in Ephesians 4.1, Paul points out that we are not worthy of our calling. God's valuation of broken, busted sinners redeemed by his grace, is what makes us worthy. But we're to walk, though we are not worthy, we're to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Like David, who when confronted with his sin, repented. Who when made fun of and, and confronted with the fact that people would not respect him and they would think he was a fool, said, I will be a fool for the Lord. When, when given opportunities to sin, even against a wicked man like Saul, Paul said, or David said, I will not run ahead of the Lord's timing. And so God called him a man after his own heart because, because David sought to exalt the Lord in all things, even when he messed up terribly. We're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We ought to pray that for the people who we pray for. We ought to pray that they bear fruit in every good work. Ephesians 2.10 says this, we are his workmanship. My son is at this age now, you know, four is when uh, mom is super important and dad is super important. Mom remains super important for a while, but dad kind of fades, you know, it's, it's the way things go. Um, but, but, you know, picking my son up from places or coming home, he, he will frequently just excitedly shout out, you know, dad, look what I did. And he'll run up to me with a picture and I'll say, what is that? Because I cannot honestly tell what it is. And then he will say, this is mom and this is you and this is our car and this is Frodo and this is, you know, uh, that's the dog, not a brother. Uh, and and he, goes, he goes on and he talks about what it is and he's so proud of what he's done of what he's made. The gospel, in the gospel, God calls his children, his sons and daughters, righteous with the righteousness of Christ, children of God by grace. Not by nature, that's all reserved for one, for the Lord Jesus, but we are his children by grace, which means that we are pleasing to him. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship. God loves us and delights in us. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We know who we are in Christ. And then we, we, we lead out, we, 
we act in the good works which God has prepared for us. We also ought to pray that we ought to be that we should be increasing in the knowledge of God. Not just information about God, but the knowledge of, of putting these truths into practice, of acting on them and living them out in our lives. Knowledge is not just information, it's information united with experience. From Paul's cell, far from the city, he's encouraging the Colossians in their identity. He's praying for them. He's praying that God would do the sovereign work of teaching them through his word, transforming them, changing them. Prayer is one of the works of Paul's ministry. It's a dependent work, but it is a mighty foundational work. Paul is serving the church by asking the Lord to bring his resources to bear on these believers. It's instructive to me, by the way, that Paul says what he prays. And not in a manipulative prayer meeting advice kind of prayer. Prayer. Right? God, I just pray for Keith. I pray, you know, that that he would realize that he really, really, really needs to attend this class to learn how to do this better. You know, that's just manipulation. But Paul prays and says what he's praying. He's not practicing his righteousness before other people to be seen by them, but he's praying that they might know the goodness of what God has for them. He prays in verse 11, May you be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I pray, Father, that the, if, that the Colossians would be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, that they would know that they have all the power that they need, that they would know that that comes from God's glorious might, and that they would endure and be patient, that they'd persevere, they'd remain calm, they would be joyous, and that they would say, thank you, Father, each and every day, because what you've done... And here comes gospel truth that he's praying for them. He has delivered them from the domain of darkness and transferred them to the kingdom of his beloved son. And they have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. They already have the best thing possible. They have life through Jesus in the kingdom of God. I pray that they would know what that means, that they would know what that looks like, that they would would believe those truths. So Paul sees, he prays. The mission of the church rose forward on prayer. Now in the remaining time, I want to share some applications about prayer. This is not going to uh, conclude with some kind of massive announcement. I mean, we, we know at this point what we ought to be doing as believers. Because God is good, because God hears the prayers of his people. Because Jesus commands us to pray, we ought to pray. And so some applications about prayer. The mission of the church rolls forward on prayer, and so we ought to pray. And so application number one is this, pray. Make it happen. It will be difficult. Paul describes it as a great struggle. Uh, John and Charles Wesley's Mom, Susanna Wesley, had many children, many children, and she had little time to herself. Little time. And you might feel that way. 
I, I have little time to pray. I, I have very little time where I'm not distracted. What she used to do, she taught her children that it would, it would go very poorly for them if they, if they bothered her while she was in her prayer closet. And her prayer closet was she would sit down and she would pull her apron over her face and she would pray. And the kids knew, don't interrupt mom when she's praying. I don't know what happened. I don't know any more of the story than that. I just know that that's the story that they recounted about their mom and about her prayers. Now, you use what works for you, whether it's a journal or a document that you make on your computer or a, uh, a list that you make that's like written on calculator tape or a giant post-it note or whatever. Do what works for you, right? But understand that, that, that the things can get stale and you might need to switch some things up. I, I encourage you, go ahead and use apps, use your phone, but understand like it's very easy to get distracted when you're using your phone because someone will text you or you might do what I often do, right? The, the, the mentality is, is like, okay, I am focused and then something beeps and then I'm like, Facebook, Gmail, Facebook, Gmail, right? You know, and then I'm like, wait a minute, what was I doing? All right, praying and go back, right? You know, um, it's possible to be distracted, but, but computer technology may enable you to do something that you can't do with a list. It depends what your brain looks like. Beware the need to find a perfect system before you start praying. Pray. Here would be my recommendation to you. Begin with yourself and the gospel grace that you have experienced. Father, I thank you that he has borne my griefs. Each one of us, every single human being, including myself, has gone our own way, but you've laid on him the iniquity of us all. I thank you for Jesus, and I thank you for what that means for me. And you may have never heard this before, but many people have the ACTS acrostic, right? A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, which is a fancy word for asking for things. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Adoration begins with, with, with saying, thank you for saving me. You are good and kind. Thank you for that. And then confess. If, we're, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, yesterday I did not treat my wife right at this point. I was, I was wrong when I said this to my children. I got angry when something happened. I, I said this. I did this. And confess to the Lord. If we walk in the light, the scripture says, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. Gratitude, confession, reflecting on gospel blessing, and then moving on to needs and thanking God for answered prayers. Make lists and pray them. So that's one and two, I think. Uh, uh, pray, uh, begin with the gospel grace is, 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 is two. Number three, pray and act, right? Under, understand the relationship between, between praying, between asking God to bless, and then the need to act. This is the whole book of Ephesians, by the way. Ephesians 1 through 3 establishes our identity, who we are in Christ, the fact that we're pleasing to God, we're raised up and seated with Christ, and then we're called to walk in a, in a particular manner. That's Ephesians 4 uh, to chapter 6, verse 9. And then chapter uh, 6, verses 10 through 20, quite possibly my favorite passage of Scripture, says that we ought to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, and, and we ought to put on gospel armor, 
But what we ought to do when we are armed up and ready with our identity and our understanding of how we're to live, Paul then sums up the armor of God by saying, pray. Pray. That's what this armored believer does. He prays for the mission of the church to move forward. But Ephesians 4, 6-9 is about how we're supposed to live. And so knowing who we are, coming before the Lord and praying and asking God to work and to change and to change hearts and minds and to change ourselves, we then go and live our life. We pray that we might have an opportunity to share with this person. And then when we see them, we go for it. Right? We share. We pray and we, we say, Lord, show me what to give. And then we... we we get to the place where we're like, okay, I've not, I've not heard a clear answer, yes or no. And so in faith, I'm going to step out and I'm going to give or I'm going to, to do something. Identify and then act. Pray to action. Here's number four. I think it is good to tell people that you're praying for them. And I've tried to do this more and more in recent days. I am praying for you in this way. Can I pray for you in, a, in, a, in, a, in another way? Can I pray about something else? And it has been encouraging to get words back from people. Pray for this. Pray for that. Things that I just would not have thought of or would not have, have known. Here's, here's what the rules are if you're going to do this, by the way. If you pray for someone and then you send them an email or a message or a note card or whatever, I, I, I could never keep up. My handwriting's not good. People would be like, please send this back corrected so I can, I can, I can read an understanding and understand it. When people send you prayer requests back, here are the rules. Pray for them and don't fix. Okay? Somebody opens up and says, I'm really struggling right now with, with a particular kind of temptation. I'm, I'm battling, not getting along with this person. My marriage isn't working. You know, I'm struggling here. I'm struggling there. Don't be like, you know, I am praying. Now, go get this book, right? Because that will, that will just pile more work and more sense of failure on them. Pray for them. Tell them that you're praying for them. I pray that out of the, the goodness and gloriousness of what you have in Christ, that you will realize and know that you have the power to beat this temptation because of what Christ has given for you. And then include 1 Corinthians 10.13 at the end. I'm praying this for you. Here's application number five. Um, so four is tell people you're praying for them. Five is I am going to be spending more time praying. This is not a boast. This is just the truth. You know, I want to block off a period of time each and every day where I'm in the office and I'm praying. The, the apostles come to the church in Acts chapter 6 and they say, we cannot be in charge of serving the food ministry. We can't do it. We need to devote ourselves to the Word of God and to prayer. And I think it, of my, my last years here, and I think I have spent enormous amounts of time in the office focusing on the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. But not nearly as much time praying. Number six, pray together. Make groups a response to what I'm saying this morning, I am sure that someone is going to say, when are we going to have a prayer meeting? 
I do not want to argue with you, and I'm not dismissing you by saying, we have done that. But what happens is, we, we start a prayer meeting, and like 15 people come out, and in three or four weeks, it is me in a room. Because everybody gets busy. But let me tell you what happens. When four people say, we are going to meet at McDonald's and pray, they do it. We are going to meet at the church and pray. They do it. We are going to pray in our small group. They do it. And so form more groups. We can have a prayer meeting. I am not saying no. Don't, don't hear me saying we're never going to do that. I think we ought to do that. We ought to do it eventually. But we should have many more prayer meetings. And pray for the prayer requests that go out when you get them. Pray for those specific things. People are, are taking a step of faith and releasing something to you and saying, please pray for this. We ought to be praying for it. Number seven, we need to reorient the mission of the church and understand where the power really lies. Good, clear communication of the word is good. Having effective, talented musicians playing is good. Having a, an eye-pleasing facility that, that's got good signage is good. But if we believe God's word, we understand where the power comes from. So the story goes that five young college students were spending a Sunday in London, and so they they wanted to hear Spurgeon preach. While they were uh, going to the church, they were greeted by a man, and they started asking him all kinds of questions. And he said, let me show you around. Can I I show you the power plant? And, And they were like, the what? And he's like, I'll show you where all the power comes from, where the energy comes from. And, and so they were, they were not interested. They wanted to see Spurgeon. And uh, so he took them around and he showed them room after room. And he opened a door in the church and he said, this is the power plant. And in that room, as the legend goes, there were 700 people praying for the service that was to come. And he said, that's where the power comes from. And legend has it, I don't know if it's true or not, that that man was Charles Spurgeon. I don't know if they got autographs or whatever. Um, the, the point being that, that we often think that the mission rolls forward on, on everything that happens in the service, that reception of the word happens based on, on the, the, the verbal execution of the pastor or on the, the, the pleasantness of the notes that are played on the stage. But the truth is that, that God works in the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we ought to pray that God would work. We ought to pray about what we say and who we say it to and how we say it and, and plead for, for people to, to be receptive. We ought to pray like everything depends on it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Think about this. Here is a pastor, probably the pastor of pastors. And what he says now, he says, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Think about that. Neither he who leads a small group nor she who teaches a Sunday school 
nor she who sings, nor he who plays the guitar, nor he who preaches is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And so what ought we to do? When you hit that patch in the sermon, you're like, oh, gospel again. He's using the same gospel illustration. What ought you to do? Pray that people would believe it. Pray that, that on Thursday, when, when, when it's sermon writing time, and on Friday, that, that there would be new and, and more pleasing gospel presentations. Right? Pray, pray for clarity in time of study and pray that the mission would roll forward. Let me close by saying this. Final application. Pray the mission of the church. Evangelism, establishing, equipping, and extending. Knowing that God will work. Asking God to work and knowing that he will. And then go and live as if the message is true. Uh, an interesting thing happened a number of years ago. I'm going to just point out something that Bruce Ford said. You know, we were, we were led in worship this morning by Matt Snyder. And when, when Bruce and his wife, Debbie, came uh, to the church for the first time, Bruce leaned over to Debbie and said, I do believe that is Matt Snyder up there on the stage. Uh, Matt Snyder, who, had, who, who he had taken care of in the nursery years and years before. Think about that. Are you praying for the mission of this church? One of the children who are here might be the pastor one day. Somebody who's going to walk through the door and get saved in, in two or three weeks might be the worship leader. They might be a missionary to another, another uh, country. A child not yet born or just born may be the one who takes the gospel to the Tuareg people. God is the one who determines that. But are we praying that he would do it through us? Because it's his desire that he be seen as working and that he be glorified and exalted in what he does. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that, that we would be moved by what we have heard from your word to pray. I pray that we would declare our dependence upon you and that, and that knowing.